Hey friends, welcome to the official podcast of Oklahoma Next Gen Leaders. This podcast exists to inspire, encourage, and ignite your kingdom purpose while equipping you to reach your potential for a global harvest. Be sure to follow us on social media and share this podcast with your friends so they can be encouraged. On today's episode, William Munden talks with Terry and Pam Irwin in a series that endeavors to hear the voices of our elders as they share their wisdom with the next generation. You don't want to go anywhere, so let's get into today's episode. Praise the Lord, everyone, and welcome to the Next Gen Podcast. Today, we have on brother and sister Terry and Pam Irwin. It's a great honor and a privilege to hear from them, and I'm really excited. This is a part of our series where we are endeavoring to hear the voice of the elders and share it with the next generation. We're going to hear their story um, and any wisdom they'd like to share with us, as well as anything else the Lord has laid on their hearts. So, as we get started, Brother Irwin, if you would just share your story. Both my parents were licensed ministers, born in Joplin, Missouri. And Before I was the age of two, they moved to the Chicago area and began a mission work in Cicero, Illinois. Eventually moved the church to Brookfield, so I've been raised in a minister's home. Um... My father served as Illinois District Secretary until he passed away. So I've had exposure to various levels of ministry and ministers. I received the Holy Ghost when I was, um, let's see, 11. I was baptized when I was nine, though. And shortly after I received the Holy Ghost, I remember the Lord dealing with me in bed that he'd called me to be a pastor. And I remember telling the Lord that I couldn't do that as I think I was about 12 at that time. And the reason for that is I was tongue-tied and uh, could not speak properly and was put in special classes thinking I was a little slower learner because of that. And then at the age of 16, I had surgery and put in additional special classes to teach me to be able to speak properly. Consequently, my education was a little deprived, and my character by then had been molded in such a way that uh, I was insecure. I was a fighter. I did not like to be made fun of, so consequently, I did a lot of fighting growing up in the suburbs of Chicago area. Uh, At 18, um, upon graduating, uh, my father encouraged me to go to Bible College. I went to Jackson College of Ministries. Um, I struggled academically there because I couldn't read as fast as I should and do the things, but the Lord was good to me. It's there that I met my wife-to-be, Pamela Townsley, and we've now been married 45 years. We have three children. 
all of our children's in ministry, and we thank the Lord for that. I uh, came to t Oklahoma after graduating from Jackson College of Ministries in 1979 to help in my wife's home church that had been started not too many years before that. And so we helped there, served there for about 12 and a half years under uh, Pastor Michael Mike Stone. And then um, Brother Waylon in 1990 at a section minister's banquet, a Christmas banquet, uh, came down off of the little raised platform where they were eating to the table where we were at. Said, Brother Irwin, uh, we have a church open in Paola, and I want you to go try out. I think you're to be the next pastor. And I told Brother Whalen at that time that I was unable to go right then due to some other obligations. Uh, at this point, I was working at an engineering firm in Tulsa. Um, Brother Whalen told me that uh, I've that he felt strong enough that I was to be the next pastor, that he wasn't going to hold an election until I went and preached. So it was in January that uh, late January that we went to Paola from Tulsa and preached one Sunday uh, morning and evening. And on the way home, as we got on the turnpike in Oklahoma City, the sp Lord spoke to me audibly in my mind where I could hear the, as if he was in the room that I've called you to Paola. And my wife about that time turned and said, we're to go to Paola that she felt the confirmation too. It was at that point that I made uh, a commitment to God that I would go under one condition, and that is that he would save my children. I did not want to go and do the work of God and see my children's souls sacrificed. And the reason for that request of God is being raised in a minister's home my mother is still alive today. She'll be 99 in October and sound mine. But she's admitted many times the mistakes that my father and her made raising us children. I was one of four children um, that they gave so much to the ministry that they were out of balance family-wise. And consequently, um, it affected how my siblings live for God. So I did not want, I wanted to do the work of God, but I did not want to sacrifice my children. So uh, we came to uh, preach, went home, they held the election, we were elected, and um, it took about nine months to fit, close down the Tulsa engineering office. The company had asked me to stay on to close it down, consolidate it to Houston. And so we drove back and forth. I got off work or, about three o'clock on Wednesdays, and we drove from Tulsa to Paola, and the speed limit back then on the turnpike was 55. And then we'd go back Wednesday night after church. We would come back to Paola Friday night when we got off work or Saturday, and then after, and stay in a motel because they had no parsonage. And um, then we would go back Sunday night after all pastoral duties were done in service. But God's been good to us has blessed us. Um, I've always tried to learn what I call is the Jesus principles. 
and um, he is our example and pattern. And there are things that he has done, said throughout his word that are applicable regardless of generation and time, and, and we need to grasp them. For instance, one of the, to me, the first biblical doctrine of the Bible is stewardship, that when God created man, put him in the garden, he told him to keep it and dress it, stewardship. And then from that, God began to bless him, gave him a wife, and the things that you can carry on from there. But So I've tried to apply principles of the Word of God and the things that God has showed us through the life of Jesus in my life. And one of the things is, is that Jesus began a good work, but he understood that that fleshly body was not going to stay here to finish the work. And he instilled it into his disciples that he invested in that greater work shall you do. So I've always tried to make it a point to be a strong leader. Sometimes people misread me being that I'm too forceful, but I believe in what I do. And that I try to pour into people and teach them how to do things, but also plant the seed that I believe and expect that they'll do greater. And I call it the double portion. And I really appreciate it, Brother Bowman's message today, because we must invest in the next generation. So uh, we just recently, in April of 2023, just completed our 32nd year of pastoring at Paola. And that completed a five-year transition where the, we had changed our church bylaws and they had voted in the next pastor five years earlier and transitioned. And I stepped aside and Pastor Hillhouse then became the pastor of the Paola Pentecostal Church and I have the title of bishop now to be a spiritual advisor to him, help preach from time to time, as well as continue investing into the kingdom with the churches we've started, the men that we've sent out, people that we try to help across the, our fellowship, and the desire to help see new work started. So hopefully that gives you a little idea. Uh, I am a graduate of Jackson College of Ministry in 1978. I did, as I said earlier, work for an engineering firm before I became a pastor at the age of 30, 33. Um, I was concerned climbing the corporate ladder in, in the secular world. They offered me a position as a vice president that I told God that you've called me to the ministry and I'm climbing corporate ladder. And I remember in December of 1998, flying out of Tulsa International Airport to Germany, looking out the windows we took off and tears coming down my face, saying to God, God, how will I ever pastor with me traveling around the world the way that I was and not developing my ministry? And I'll never forget, the Lord spoke to me and says, don't you ever worry about that. He said, I got David off the backside of the wilderness when his father didn't think he was eligible for what I was calling for. I have no trouble getting you out wherever you're at. That brought great peace to me. One of the things that my pastor and a, and a good principal that he operated was that when I was gone, that uh, I did not preach or speak when I came back. For, for a week or two, just to make sure I was spiritually okay. 
which was a wise thing to do. However, I was gone so much that I wasn't getting to preach unless he was gone. So I felt intimidated that how would I ever pastor when I wasn't getting the preaching time. But the Lord blessed me at that job where I could do a lot of studying. And back then at the company, we used three and a half inch floppy disk. Some of these kids may not know what they are today, but I still have probably 18 disk, floppy disk of sermons that God gave me that I prepared while sitting in that office. And from time to time, I've went back over the years and I've gathered information off of those discs. So I would tell people today, while you're waiting on God to call you into a field or a position, and you shouldn't just seek a position, you should, you need to know where your calling is. You need to be preparing. It's an interesting principle. Jesus chose men that were busy working. The disciples, those fishermen had to lay down their nets. Jesus didn't just pick people sitting at church. He found people that were actually busy working. And so I encourage people, regardless what's going on in your life of ministry and you feel called to ministry, that you should be preparing yourself for the day when that comes. The next thing that I have learned and I try to share with people is you've got to know the difference between a burden and a calling. I believe every saint of God, that includes ministers, should have a burden for the kingdom of God. And a burden should make you want to get in and help regardless if you have a position, regardless if you've been called, you should want to help meet the need. However, a calling is something specific that God's called you. Okay, he called Peter to give him the keys to the kingdom. He called the Apostle Paul to be the Gentile missionary. Paul wanted to go to Rome, but God hadn't called him to Rome until later in his life, and that desire to go to Rome didn't turn out the way Paul wanted to be. Paul wanted to do all the preaching in Rome and declare, but God put him in the prison to lock him up, or he'd have to write preaching messages that are still preached 2,000 years later. So you have to know your calling, and when God calls you, you have to stand on that. And your flesh will be tempted. I remember one Sunday morning, I got a call in my office at the church from a minister that served on a board of another church and said he identified himself, told me his purpose of calling, that he served on a board and that he was calling because they needed a pastor and they wanted me to be their next pastor. And I remember that very distinctly, that conversation, and I told them, that minister, not disrespectfully, but I just told him, I'm not interested. He got quiet, and he says, well, will you think about it and pray about it? And I said to him, I don't need to pray about it. It got very quiet, and I said, please don't take that arrogant, but that ought to scare you. He said it. It has shocked me that you wouldn't even pray about it. And I said, I don't mean that arrogant, but I said, I know where God's called me, and I don't want to entertain something to my flesh because my flesh would like that position. And he said, I respect that. I said, I know where God's called me, and he hasn't released me. So this is why it's very important that men have callings because you're going to go through some tough times.
you're going to have to break the spiritual stronghold of the area that God's called you. And when you do, flesh is going to fight you. They're going to attack your character, your reputation. And I remember when we were going through that at Paola, and I was one day in my office praying, say, God, I will resign from this church then bring a reproach with what people are saying, falsely accusing me. But I've got to have an answer. By that time, God had established me in the community and with several of the elders of the community that went to the Baptist church. And while I was there praying, one of the elders of the Baptist church walked into my office and put his bony finger across that desk to me and said, Brother Terry, I don't know if you can believe God can speak to a Baptist, but I drove by your church and God told me to turn around and come back and tell you not to resign and leave this church. Now, God didn't speak to anyone in my church to tell me that. He spoke to a man in the community that loved God but didn't have all the truth. And he says, I don't know what's going on, but you are to stay. And so that was the confirmation that I had to stay. And God turned things. And some of those people that believe some of those lies I've later have pastored are in the church today. So we have to we have to know where we're called because our flesh will want to run and bail for something easier. The will of man is so selfish, and that's what causes Adam to become a sinner, and it's still something we struggle today, the selfish nature of what we want. So I tried to convey those things to people from ministry that we do. You, you have to know your purpose. you got to know your calling, and you got to keep a relationship with God. Now, everybody's personality is different. God speaks to me differently than other people. Um, when our children were in Bible college, we cleaned a bank to help support them through school. And and uh, at that time, Brother Fuller, who is now presbyter and the pastor at Bartlesville, was our assistant pastor, and he would help me from time to time. And he, he was amazed while I was sweeping a floor with a vacuum sweeper I would stop, pull out paper on my pocket, pull out a pen. He said, what are you doing? I said, God just gave me a word and a message. He said, how in the world can God give you a message while you're vacuuming? I said, because I'm, I'm working this job because I need to support my family. I'd rather not do this, but it doesn't hinder God from talking to us. And so we have to realize there are times in life we have to do things that are challenging, sacrificial, uh, tough, but it never stops God from talking. So my personality is such that I have to have quiet to hear God speak. And my radio in my truck that I've had now for about a year and a half, I don't know if I've ever turned the radio on in it. Because when I drive, even on a vacation, thank God my wife loves to sleep while I drive, it's just quiet. It's not to be rude, but God speaks to me in the quiet and through my mind, because my mind is always racing with questions of, of what's next, God? What, what do I need to do to help that situation? And so I've tried to always meditate on God and apply his word to my life. 
So I hope that gives you a little insight. Maybe my wife can um, bring to my recollection something that I need to maybe hit on. I've tried to always invest in people. I, I am a strong, strong advocate that we have the ministry of reconciliation and to restore people. So I have made it a point of my latter years of my ministry here and going forward to help people that are struggling or who have fallen or dealing with things they don't know how to handle. Um, because I believe we have been, per the word of God, given the ministry of reconciliation, and we need to restore people. And people in our culture today, even in the religious culture of the church, it's hard sometimes to admit we're struggling or in need and to find people that we can have confidence in to restore us and to help us through times without looking down on us. So I've always taken the approaches I've helped people is to convey to them when it's all over that, look, I admire you more for addressing your situation, the problem, and conquering it. Into my, in my mind, you just moved up the rung on the ladder higher because I know all flesh struggles. Everybody has battles, whether they want to admit it or not. But not everybody is willing to get help for it. Others just want to hide it, and the shame and the guilt suppresses them to their never to utilize to the maximum that they could in the kingdom because they're always afraid of something happening or coming out. But once you deal with it, it's a great relief. So those are some a few of the things that come to my mind at this point. Okay, good point. My wife just mentioned to me, Brother M.J. Wolf, who was the superintendent of the Illinois District um, when I was a child, a teenager, who was very instrumental in, in my father coming to Illinois and starting the work that he did. Um, at youth camp, he would always beat into our minds Philippians chapter 4, think on these things whatsoever things are pure honest and he would make us say that every day at youth camp and i attribute why i have greater control of my mind because of what brother excuse me brother wolf instilled into me about taking charge of your mind gird up the loins of your mind let your mind be renewed you can control your mind the devil may throw a thought the life in the world may give you something you see or hear to provoke your mind, but you have the ultimate control of it. And so I've made that a practice to, even when I go to bed, if I'm not praying, if I'm trying to unwind, I purpose in my mind what I'm thinking about when I go to bed. I don't just lay there and let my mind wander. And sometimes that mind keeps you awake all night. Because our God can do exceedingly abundant above all that we can ask or think. So, but God has been very good to me. He has um, healed me of a broke neck from a car accident. He's touched me many times as a teenager of a heart murmur. He's healed me. Um, the green glow. The green glow. Yes. Um, while I was at the engineering before I came pastor, I had been exposed to um, radiation 
at the Los Alamos National Laboratory. And after pastoring, I had become very, very sick. They didn't know what was going on. I thought I was dying at times. And one Saturday night laying in bed in our bedroom, uh, pitch black, because I have to have all the lights out to go to sleep. So all the windows are covered. The room was pitch black. We were laying in bed. I got sick, and I told my wife to pray that I'm dying. I, I was so sick and uh, laid there. And then after a while, the room just glowed. The best way to tell you is you've seen pictures or even uh, movies where they use the green fluorescent color to pro portray um, radiation. The whole room was was glowing in that bright green. She could not see it. In fact, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. The room was so dark. But I could see everything in that room just as this natural light or the light of that we have on in here. That bright green was so light. And as I laid there, we were praying, and I thought I was dying. All that green come together and went into my gut. It didn't come out of my gut. It went into my gut. And when it got through and disappeared, I was healed. And I believe God was letting me know I was being attacked by that radiation and that he removed it. He knew it was, I knew it was in my system, and God removed it. And I've never had that problem since. So I've had God do a lot of things. I've had the privilege to be with Brother Billy Cole in 1995 to go to Thailand, preach at the general conference there. Also to be on the Spirit 95 Holy Ghost rally through Louisiana with him, Brother Tinney. So I've had the privilege of, of being exposed to some great men in the ministry that has made a great impact on my life. Uh, one that comes to my mind is after my father passed away in 1998, um, I was dealing with a situation, and I called Brother Tinny, uh, T.F. Tinney, who was superintendent of Louisiana that time, and uh, got his secretary, told her who I was, and see if Brother Tinney was available. And she said she would check, and he picked up the phone a minute, immediately, and I and I said to Brother Tinney, Brother Tinney, I just need some advice. And if you have a minute, and I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, son, I got time for you anytime. I'd rather be your wallpaper than your toilet paper. He said, I'd rather be on the front side helping you to do what's right, look right, than to have to clean you up. But neither way, I'm here for you. And I never forgot that, that he made a commitment to me that whether it's good or bad, I'm here to help you. And and from that, I began, it was from my relationship with him that I wrote him a letter one day asking him for insight to how to transition when it came time. And this was some 20 years before uh, April of 2023, and I shared that copy with my children and with our pastor now, the questions and the response that Brother Tinney gave me because I knew the day would come that I would either die or be not able to serve, and I did not want to leave the church hurting. I have served in several capacities in our district. I've been on the youth committee, been a sectional youth secretary, youth leader, section two, I've been a sectional secretary, I've been a presbyter, been the district Sunday school director, 
Um, but the day comes where you can't serve. I've also watched many churches lose their pastor and the church's crater because they didn't have a leader and or find the right one. So I hope that gives you a little insight. If you have some more questions, I'll be happy to answer. I have two questions for you. Uh, first, I would like to ask you, um, and you, you touched on this, uh, to hear the voice of God, you need silence. And you also talked about controlling your mind. Could you um, maybe give a little more insight on that and specifically to um, saints who are struggling to hear the voice of God uh, in their lives and find direction? First of all, I took the word of the Lord for its surface value. He said, my sheep shall know my voice, not another. So I asked the Lord to speak to me on terms that I would understand. And I often pray that when I pray for people looking for direction, speak on terms that I can understand. And so little by little, you begin the process of knowing the voice. Um, probably have learned through at your age when your mother called you and you kind of ignored her versus when she called you maybe by your full name. And you knew the difference right then. To me, that's the best analogy I can tell you that God has a way to speak to really let you know it's him. Here is a model that, that uh, two models that I have lived by. Number one is the best is yet to come. The second one is always know your motive and make sure you that it's you have pure motives and you have a right spirit. If you have pure motives and something goes wrong, God will make it up for you. But the hardest thing in life to do is have pure motives and things go wrong that tests your attitude and spirit. And you got to keep it right. Okay. So, uh, Hearing the voice of God is something that you you learn as as we did in the natural. And here's the best story that comes to my mind right now. One day in the office um, that I was um, studying and praying, and the Lord conveyed to me something that a man in the church that was doing, and it crushed me. I remember laying face down on the carpet of the floor of my office, praying and the Lord telling me, after showing me what was going on, he told me, you've got to go tell this man and tell him to stop, make things right. I was so emotionally disturbed by it. I said, okay, God, I will. I got up from that floor, got in my car, drove out to the country, knocked on the door his wife answered i had tears coming down my face still she said what's wrong brother Irwin?" i said i just need to visit with your husband is he home she said yes but he's not in the house he's in the field so i i said do you think he, he would mind or you mind if i go out in the field and find him she said no you're welcome to i walked out there and he saw me he was shocked and he said what are you doing here pastor and i he said, what's wrong? And I said, well, I was praying. The Lord showed me what you're doing and you, to tell you to stop, repent, and make it right. And that meeting did not go right. He was arrogant. He could care less. And I walked away feeling, God, this did not go right. And going back to the office praying, I said, God, that didn't go right, but I heard your voice 
Now, if I didn't tell me, and the Lord said, no, you heard my voice, but I'm going to teach you something here, that when I speak to you, you've got to control your emotions. And next time I tell you to do something, you stop and ask me when and how to do it. And because your motive was right, I'll take care of this. And it was a little bit of time, but that man prayed back through. God took care of it. So I've always tried to wait on God when he asked me to do something, to know that I'm doing it the right time and the right way. Whether people agree with it or not, I have to live it myself when I put my head on the pillow at night to know that my motive was pure. And to the best of my ability, I did what I should and was told to do by God. I also take my responsibilities that God has given me very seriously. So I live life intentionally. I want to be the best that I can be. I'm not perfect, but I want to do the best that I can. I have been accused by many saying I'm overconfident, but that's where the pendulum has slid from me being raised with such insecurity and being made fun of, being tongue-tied, not having the education. But God gave me gave me that opportunity to show me by putting me to work in an engineering firm. The best way I could tell you, it was like he put a chip in my brain that in my 20s I was working at an engineering firm and I was the only one there without on that engineering team without an engineering degree. And I traveled the world fixing problems. And God did that to show me that when the time would come to pastor, he would give me what I needed to pastor and to lead his people. And I've relied on him to do that. And so on one side of me, I'm glad that I didn't have that upbringing where I knew everything because it's taught me to really lean on the Lord. In the service, um, let's see, where I want to say it was Brother Landon Gore. And actually, no, I believe it was last night. Yes, and he, he talked about missing the voice of God, like um, you know, putting putting it off. Um, and could you could you discuss that a little bit and, and kind of talk about that aspect of, of hearing the voice of God? Yes, I think we have Bible example when um, Samuel was brought to the temple at a young age, and he did not know God, and God began to talk to him, and he all he knew it was his pastor's voice or Eli's voice. And he kept going to Eli, and Eli finally figured it out that God was trying to talk to Samuel. And I use that as the basis to tell people that our nature and our lives are so wrapped up with all the voices that we hear and the selfishness of our own nature that talks all the time of what we want, that it's hard for us to hear or, or make the distinction, what is God? Because after a while, this flesh knows what God wants or what God or the kingdom needs. In it. And if we're not careful, our selfish desires are what we want. We call that the, the voice of God. And so I think it's a trial and error that you have to learn. I think everyone has those times where you look back and said, I missed the opportunity. That was God, but we weren't sure. Uh, I've had him in my life. Uh, and you, you have to just ask God to forgive you and go on and let it be a learning lesson. I think that's a big principle that people need to do when you realize you missed something. Let it be a teaching moment, not a hammer moment. 
Let it not be something that beats you down, but let it be a thing that helps you step up, that you've learned something. So um, um, I think all of us, even to this day, I am still learning the voice of God. Because you're not going to put God in a box. But I do know this, when you have pure motives and keep a right relationship with God, God's going to, and he needs you to do something. He'll get through to you, whether it's a donkey speaking or whatever. I mean, that's the precedent. Look at Saul, who became the apostle Paul. You know, he couldn't hear the voice of God speaking through the life of Jesus Christ or the early church. And this is one of the things I tell people, even pastors, if people won't listen to the Holy Ghost and the preached word and the written word, what makes me think they're going to listen to me as a pastor? We're the last stop. And so it's the same with our daily lives. If we don't govern our lives to listen to the voice of God, then it becomes harder. And I think our culture today, with everyone wearing their earbuds and listening to stuff, it's hard for God to really speak to them. And their motive of telling God to speak to me on my terms is there's no windows for God to interrupt them. In fact, I've preached a message entitled, Can I Interrupt You? So uh, we all have those times of learning, struggling. Does that answer? All right. So as we wrap this up, uh, if you could um, say, give one more, one more point, and then, and this could be a point of criticism or, or perhaps um, a, just a, something you would like to convey, something you've learned. Uh, one last thing to this generation you would like to share uh, as we close out. Well, there's several things to this younger generation. Number one, I guess I would say to them, is that I'm expecting them to do far greater than what my generation has done. I expect them to see more miracles. I expect them to see more growth. I expect them to have better facilities and resources, um, but to be good stewards of it and to keep a right attitude. And also to be sure that if the coming of the Lord does tarry, that they leave the next generation after them much better than what they inherited from the previous generation. We need to be able to look back and see the blessings of the, the Lord on our life and our ministry, not to build our kingdom, but the kingdom of God, but also make sure that we're investing in such a way that when we're gone, things people can look back and say, look what I inherited because of the sacrifice, the work of someone else, not to leave a legacy for our own namesake, but the kingdom is worth it. And so we have to teach this younger generation to appreciate what's being given to them. Because it's a sad story when the, the generation that was miraculously removed, delivered out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses, the death of Joshua, the Bible says there rose up a generation that knew not the Lord nor the works of God. And how could that happen? So it's so easy after being so blessed by God to live off those blessings and not pass on to the next generation. The other thing that I think that this next generation needs to, to, 
to be reminded or to know is that there's going to be various times in their life where God's going to test them. And just because you pass the test today doesn't mean you'll pass it tomorrow. And that I believe God does that to keep us humble, keep us in right relationship. In fact, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is the story when Abraham took Isaac up the mountain to offer him. And God has to stop him from taking the life of Isaac. And the Bible records a powerful statement that God said, Now I know. Now God's all-knowing. He knew before Abraham went up there that what he was going to do, because he declares the end from the beginning, knows everything. But that statement there actually refers to that what Abraham did by offering Isaac as God commanded was giving God the highest praise that you can give God, that God knows what's in our heart, but until we're put to the test to reveal it, God really doesn't get the praise out of it and the worship. And so it's important that when we go through tests and trials that we reveal our love for God and our commitment to God and give God the highest praise and worship. And then I guess as far as a scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that we're a new creature in Christ, behold, all things become new, is one of my favorites because it's the hope of everyone. Everyone wants to change. Everyone has things in their life they're trying to conquer and overcome and get right. And so I guess 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is probably my favorite scripture as a born-again believer. Thankful for the revelation, not taking away from the name or any of that, but just being able to have a life in Christ. Thank you so much, brother and sister Irwin, for your time. I pray that this blesses those who hear that it would speak. And until next time, God bless. Thank you for listening with us today. Make sure to subscribe to the Oklahoma Next Gen Leaders podcast and social media so you can stay up to date on our newest content. Until next time, we pray this episode ignites something within you.